Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. The trap of the West is that a lot of people are well-adjusted to an insane asylum. Right. And you won't realize that you're actually in the asylum until you get out either physically or through spiritual technology, meditation, prayer, going back to nature long enough to tune back in. Once upon a time, our feet were on the ground. We had relation with land. We would go out and we would know each and every bush, each and every tree. And what's happened is, is we become so disconnected to the natural that we've made the unnatural essentially our God. I think what's coming online more than ever right now is we're being asked to become sovereign humans again, to come back to nature. It means to come back to self. It means to come back to truth. Yeah. So it's the ultimate game of choice. Brandon Collingsworth, welcome back. It's an honor to be here. But this time in the flesh. Yeah, yeah. Last time we were dealing with those Peruvian Wi-Fi signals and it was it was tough. <laughs> yeah. It was challenging. Yeah, you were deep in the jungle, which <laughs> like well, shout out to technology, because that even happened. I, I mean, yeah, and although it was a little glitchy, there was something to be said about it streaming five thousand miles from the middle of the Amazon. Dude, the miracle of technology, but also like what humans can create. Yeah. This is only the beginning too what i'm excited about yeah you know it's that strange paradox to hold like the human humanity in the level of like moving towards ai or singularity yeah. the singularity yeah you know is like it's fascinating because it can both be to the detriment and to the potential path yeah. to extinction which i, I think we're kind of on yeah but can also be perhaps ra- rescued through you know yeah yeah i last week did a thought experiment and i wrote down what I felt like the first person, the last person would say to each other or what they had to teach each other. Oh, wow. About humanity and about love. And I'll send you what I wrote out about love. But it's an interesting paradox because both have essential insight into the human experience. One has the entire millennia of slips, failures, mess-ups to use as a backdrop. And the other has direct connection to source, to Mother Earth. To nature right and so in that thought experiment i found actually a lot of peace in the fact that where we are going is actually a necessary evolution in the human experience bringing us closer yeah. to love moment by moment 
Well, it's strange to think that we would use something we created, which is technology, mm-hmm. to uh, further develop us as people. Mm-hmm. Which, man, that's a, right. It's like, of course, the fear people have is that technology will decide that it doesn't want to do what we want it to do anymore and right. that it will just murder all of us. You know, that's like the doomsday. Mm-hmm. And I think people who are really, you know, experts in AI, there is concern mm-hmm. about that because I've seen chats with like ChatGBT mm-hmm. or maybe it wasn't chat, but like one of those engines where it's like the shit is dark. The little computer is like a shadowy, crazy <laughs> fucking weird person answering questions. Yeah. And which, of course, it's an expression of human consciousness. So yeah. how can it not have a deceitful shadow side? You it know? has to. Right. Yeah. Which, of course, we like to think is just the computer and not us. But, you know, that it is gathering all of the information of consciousness. So when you ask it to write something, it's actually wild, the quality of... I asked it to write three loving vows to Kylie. And I told Kylie, I'm like, I want to see what it can do. And I said, like, because you can give it, you know, more feedback, like um, talk about um, honoring the feminine, commitment, love, dedication. Holy, I was reading it. Seriously, man, I was reading it. I was like, oh, babe, this is good. I think it's better than what I could have come up with. Like, I read them to her. She's like, oh, that is, because of course she's like, yeah, right. She's like, that's actually really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal what it can do as a tool. I was at the TED conference back in April in Vancouver, and one of the phrases that stuck with me was, it's not going to be humans versus AI. It's going to be humans versus humans who use AI. Mm-hmm. Similar to many tools that have come online, right. I think it's another tool to either augment or destroy, right? Instead of it being like good or bad, I think it's neutral and it's all in the power of who holds it. So like, for example, there is some deceitful AI, but there's also beautiful AI. Right. The question is, is like, where do you want to go? And there again lies the paradox of choice. And I think that's what's coming online more than anything at this juncture in history is the paradox of choice. Do we choose love? Do we choose humanity? Do we choose others? Or do we choose self? Do we choose ego? Do we choose deceit? Mm. What do you think predisposes someone to or enables them to make that choice? That's a a deep question. I think there's a a dance between nurture and nature. Mm -hmm. I feel like the human expression is inherently, it's both, it's both altruistic and selfish at the same time. Yeah. Which altruism is selfish. Yeah. Yeah. In some way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I feel that, um, there's something beyond the physical and the soul realm that is inherently in alignment with love, which is why you know, love is my mission and, and I'm in service to love, but I don't think love is what our society portrays it as. This mm. fluffy, ethereal, feel-good thing. I feel like love is very intelligent and it's multifaceted. And therefore, a lot of times when love is expressed because it is so vast, there'll be times where it doesn't look like love. And in other times when it does look like love, it is not love. And I think the art of being human is to inevitably come in more and more into more and more heart coherence to where like love is that set point or that, or we are in a dance with an ultimate truth, whatever that is, who knows? I mean, that can get really philosophical, obviously. 
Well, I know your journey really started with, or continued with, I guess is the right way to say it, the the real obsession with understanding performance. Yeah, right? absolutely. Did that performance, like how did love become part of performance and was it part of the original uh, blueprint of what you saw as optimizing um, our, our human performance? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, growing up on the streets, there's a lot of pitfalls. And as we talked about in episode one, like the projects and gang infested neighborhoods and drugs and mental addictions and things like that, those all reign supreme in the projects more so than not. One of my earliest coping mechanisms was exercise. I had a third grade teacher, her name was Miss Bennett, and during recess, she gave all the kids an option one year to either go play on the playground or run laps. Me and one other kid, this kid John Paul from Minnesota, can't believe I remember that. (laughs) We chose to run laps, and the caveat was if you ran 100 miles during that quarter, you got a pizza party. You know, we love pizza. It's all about Dude, you guys, for the whole class? For the whole recess. So you guys took the grenade. You oh, took, we took the grenade and we ran. And, and so she's 100 said, miles. That is yeah. Nice. That's, a that's lot. quite a few recesses. Oh, it's a lot of recesses. A whole quarter of recesses yeah. when we were doing it. And you got this like card that they would stamp every time you go around a lap. Huh. And she told me, she said, listen, Brandon, there's going to come a moment where you meet this thing called the wall. And I'm like, what's the wall? <laughs> she said, the wall is inside you. It's this burn. It's grade three. It's grade three. Damn. Third grade. She's dropping. <laughs> dropping game. Yeah. Yeah. She said, the wall is inside you. And she said, it's this burn. But if you can resist it long enough, on the other side, there's something special there. Wow. So third grade, I started running to find the wall, this resistance point. And I learned that if I stayed with it long enough, I would pop out on the other side. I would have more energy. I would gain a second win but I'd gain a deeper insight into myself. Mm. And so that wall became a metaphor as I traversed the projects, as I pulled myself out of generational poverty, as I was faced with different failures and different adversities, I would link that to this wall. If I could stay with it long enough, I would push through to something beyond it. It's really been a metaphor that stuck with me and helped me understand the capacity of our ability to perform under pressure. And so from third grade, that was when the seed was planted that I was fascinated with what our human body can do. The other thing that I became an absolute obsessive nerd about was X-Men. <laughs> and, yeah. And the and superhero it, yeah, and yeah. the superhero concept. And it was like, wow, here's these these individuals with extraordinary powers. I'm a unique individual. I have extraordinary powers. So let me go on this lifelong journey to see what I can unlock in myself, which is what led me to becoming a personal trainer. A lot of people think I got into personal training for the physical capacity and, and attributes, and obviously that was part of it, but it was because I wanted to introduce other people to that wall. To performance. To yeah. performance, to going beyond. And so a lot of people that work with me, they're like, bro, you're pretty hard when it comes to like the standard you set. And it's like, yes, but it's because I know that if you push beyond those limitations and those resistance points that you say are you, on the other side of it is going to be something really special. So let's go there because I've been there. And so that's been the journey. First, the physical, tapping into the mental, and then inevitably connecting the spiritual. And it really goes in alignment with yogic philosophy, 
where they talk about the five koshas in yoga philosophy. They say we have five bodies, physical body, energetic body, emotional body, wisdom body, and eventually the love body. Hmm. So I feel like true optimal performance means that all of those are online. All of those are healthy. But in that school of thought, oftentimes it's the physical body, the soma, where we enter the realm of optimizing all bodies. That's true. And when I look at personal evolution, personal growth, I think about how we are often brought to some area of body of mastery. Mm -hmm. One of those because of a lack of mastery that has led to a breakdown. And, you know, I would, I'm curious your thoughts because I would think usually how we show up in any one or all of those is usually inherited. Like it's what's been observed, what culture says, what society says, what, you know, about the love body, the, because we don't, I would say it's very seldom that we would see a healthy relationship with any one of those. Yeah. You know, we see mostly the shadow expression. We see mostly um, a lack of skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was watching a Instagram reel someone sent me today that was a gym class from 1967 versus today. These guys are all like Adonis, mm-hmm. you know, in grade 11 or 12 or whenever they're in, but they're all fit. They're all doing chin-ups. They're all... Like the standard for like minimum was something like you should be able to do 16 push-ups. I think most people yeah. can't even do yeah. five now or something like that. Presidential Fitness Award. Yeah. 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 In Canada, we had these like badges, like bronze <laughs> same, same. Like participation, yeah. bronze, silver, gold. But when I was watching, I was thinking like, wow, how much our culture, physical fitness mm-hmm. clearly was a standard. I think it was Kennedy who set that standard for mm-hmm. the classes in phys ed again i'm not an american historian but something like that and that that was a priority but man like emotional fitness Mm -hmm. physical fitness spiritual fitness uh love fitness Mm -hmm. what was the other one you said emotional energetic energetic yeah somatic somatic. wisdom even wisdom fit flexing the capacity of our intuition and our wisdom one yeah. That, yeah, and honoring that we have wisdom. Yeah. Because so many of us believe it's out, it's taught to us, it's not innate, right? Yeah. So when I think about the journey to stepping into alignment and mm-hmm. expression and performance in any one of those, mm-hmm. there is no only one. Mm-hmm. Like once you enter, it's like a, a awakening. Yeah. It's like once you see that you're not, mm-hmm. that means you can see that you can, which means you got a lot of shit left on your plate. A lot. <laughs> right. Right. And you can't just become. So I'm curious why you think people, especially when it comes to, let's say, uh, physical fitness. Yeah. Why you think people get trapped in just the somatic, just like the performance. Yeah. Or the nourishment. Right. Which I, they don't go, they, they go together. But it's like, why do you think people get stuck in the obsession of mastery there? But yet spiritually bankrupt, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. What do you think? Well, our society does a great job at over-glamorizing the superficial and the material. And the physical thing is something we can touch. So when somebody does have an Adonis-like body or an Adonis complex, it's not something that we look down upon. We actually Mm -hmm. celebrate this over-fixation on the physical space, and we don't celebrate the invisible, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. the spiritual, in a lot of ways. The mental, the emotional, the wisdom, the love, 
these things have been completely so true, turned off and we're, we're not connected to that. And because we're told in our society that if it, if you can see it and touch it, it's real. And if you can't, it's not, it's fantastical. A lot of people have lost connection with that, but just like, you know, mm. Francis Weller and his beautiful work about connecting with the cosmos, connecting with community, connecting with something that is beyond just self. That's something that has gotten lost. And so I think there's this overfixation on the physical and the relationship is kind of mutilated. It needs to be rebalanced and reconfigured as not just the physical ends to a means, but also as a doorway to something beyond. Mm. And that's what I think happens when you meet those resistance points, or as one of my dear professors, Dr. Mark Guadagnoli would say, the edge of stretch. The edge of stretch is that, that space of ultimate resistance where if you go too far, too quick beyond that, you'll be in the panning zone and it'll actually have a negating return. But if you don't ever leave the comfort zone, you're never going to figure out what gems lie at that edge. And it's a moving edge for everybody. But I feel that the true magic of optimization is actually, it's not an end. It's a, it's a constant evolution mm, to continue yeah. to be optimized because the optimization that was the best me at 21 is not the same optimization that's the best me at 38. But our society would like us to believe that some echo chamber, some isolated time period in our lifetime is actually the epitome of optimized. And that's why so many people are trying to be who they were instead of trying to allow what nature wants is it is to inevitably involve into what we can be, which is why there's a billion dollar industry of trying to like preserve some part of our past rather than usher us into a new, beautiful, powerful, expansive, love-centered future. Well, it's interesting to see the programs that we buy into about what it means to be 35, what it means to be 55. Yeah, you know, I met someone the other day who was in their 70s, who is in their 70s. It was like, I mean, there's no point in me entering relationship anymore. And like, it's so far gone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you can live till you're 98, you know? And so you got 23 years yeah. that you're just, and granted, some people tap out and that's their choice. It, again, I don't want to like say that that's the way. But because we're so afraid of confronting what lives next to love, mm-hmm. like the unexplored pains, the unexplored, we'll spend our lives avoiding mm-hmm. what we're afraid of. We think like, if I enter a relationship with you, I'm eventually going to get rejected. Mm-hmm. I'm eventually going to get pain. And I think when we look at, you know, how food has changed, how, mm-hmm. I mean, man, it makes me sad to think about when you look at something like 1967 mm-hmm. to today and the physical embodiment yeah. that people have is, we seem to be craving more uh, somatic wisdom, more somatic knowledge, more spiritual. Mm-hmm. Like technology, you know, coming back to where we started, mm-hmm. is like technology to me also is really exponentially showing how detached we actually are from self because it's so extractive of mm-hmm. self too. Like it can be much like if you have the Adonis complex and you start an Instagram that's based on your butt. You could become super famous for your butt, <laughs> but if somehow you lose your butt or whatever happens, yeah. or it's a butt. Imp- you shouldn't have a famous butt if it's mm-hmm. an implant. I firmly believe that. Agreed. Pun intended. But I think there's something, 
It's like if you work for it, yeah. no judgment if you got a fake butt, but you know, but, but. But I think like the internet allows that to be amplified and celebrated mm -hmm. if you're a you know, your Instagram is based on that. Again, not shaming people whose physical mm -hmm. fitness is actually how they sell. Maybe they're a model, maybe they're a physical mm -hmm. trainer. Not shaming any of that. Mm -hmm. It's just the trap. Mm -hmm. Just like the trap I can have from, you know, posting something that gets lots of likes because it's about, for example, what will always perform, female empowerment. Yeah, right. You know, versus posting what I want to talk about or what is the truth and right. outside of just female empowerment. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, I remember there was a time when Instagram, really, if you posted anything, you saw poems that'd be like, she found a sword and slayed the dragon and she became a powerful witch. Yeah. And, now men respect and you're like yeah, yeah. it's just the same drawn out message which right. i get the inspiration right of it. but it's like you could choose to write what you know will get celebrated or post what you know will get celebrated mm -hmm. or post what's real and it's real hard to distinguish what's real anymore absolutely it's it's that's why more than ever now we're being told to tune in hermetic principle law polarity says that as one energy swings to one way or becomes amplified in one polar opposite, the other one also becomes amplified at the same time. So as technology's ramping up, as the world's becoming more and more disconnected, also all these innate wisdoms of self mm, are also are coming connected. online. And so it's becoming more and more of a choice. Krishnamurti has a quote that I love. He says, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a mentally sick society. The trap of America the trap of the West is that a lot of people are well-adjusted to an insane asylum. Right. And you won't realize that you're actually in the asylum until you get out, either physically or through spiritual technology, meditation, prayer, going back to nature long enough to tune back in. And I was, it was so funny. I was in um, Barcelona, and I was in this. Oh, I love Barcelona. Great, great Barcelona. Barcelona. <laughs> great hotel. And I was in the shower, and it was this elaborate shower with like marble and like stainless steel, and the stainless steel wooden fog and the hot water sprayed out like three different angles. And I was like, this is nice. And this is also so disconnected from nature. Like once upon a time, our feet were on the ground. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time, we were able to have a relation with our physical surroundings. We had relation with land. We would go out and we would know each and every bush, each and every tree, what those tree represented. There was a deep connection. And what's happened is, is we become so disconnected to the natural that we've made the unnatural essentially our God. And if you make the unnatural our God and it's being controlled and manipulated by people who's, who have ulterior agendas, uh -huh. then essentially you're subjecting yourself to a permanent fixture in that insane asylum that Krishnamurti was talking mm -hmm. about, which is why during the pandemic, people became so trapped because they actually had no connection to nature and they realized that their salvation or their safety or their sustenance was, was based off of the regulation of goods and looking towards something outside of ourselves to make sure that we are taken care of. I think what's coming online more than ever right now is we're being asked to become sovereign humans again. Yeah. And to become so sovereign human means to come back to nature. It means to come back to self. It means to come back to truth.
And therein lies why human optimization or optimization of self is more important now than ever. Because all the tools are there to do it and all the pitfalls are there to, are not to do it at the same time. Yeah. So it's the ultimate game of choice. I think about using all the things you're saying about, you know, for me, the journey began on using relationship. Yeah. As a vehicle for inquiry, curiosity. It, originally, I was always into physical fitness and training and sports, but I never really saw it as a vehicle for liberation, like optimize that I could see everything I'm capable of. And that actually, you know, I think of like you or someone like David Goggins, who's real, you know, real extreme on it, which I find some of his stuff so motivating because he'll say something like, yeah, your alarm goes off and you just, he says it with way more motherfuckers in it, but he'll talk about how like you wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off, you decide to keep sleeping. Yeah. And he's like, just like every normal person does, do you want to be normal? And you're saying like, to to be well adjusted in a profoundly sick world is not a sign of, you know, any, it's not anything to be proud of. And I think there's a truth to that awareness that like I am adjusted to you know, I think Gabor Monte's book, The Myth of Normal, yeah, same thing. Yeah. Like, these are all just symptoms of a sick society. And I think about, uh, you know, we're filming and we're in L.A. in mm -hmm. downtown. And, you know, when you're in Manhattan, you know, you feel like the soaring concrete and, the, and you get to Central Park and you're like, thank the Lord, there's a tree mm -hmm. around here. But I think about, like, how do we turn this ship around or how do we be in the world but not of the world do you know what i mean like how do you use things like technology like we're using right now and not be used by technology like this seems to me this because i think about the last three years that has really woken up in me this desire to be like what the fuck is happening mm -hmm. and the naivety i had about uh manipulation profit i mean i worked for pharma but it's like, I've always known that they're more profit-driven than patient-driven. Mm -hmm. I didn't always know that, not till later in my career. But to see the capacity of human manipulation and deception, but still hold, because I love what you said at the beginning, that when one thing is growing, the other's growing. So like, there is, there is no black without white, there is no, you know, up without down. It is it is the law of the universe that good is amplified if bad's amplified. Because mm -hmm. I find myself ha sometimes having conversations like this it really brings me back. But it's like sometimes I get lost in the the weight of the world, the the doomsday, the like. But then when when you come to light and you have conversations like this, you're like, oh, there's there's actually good being born. Because I'm sure for people listening, it's like, if we're constantly watching the freaking news or like on Twitter, you know, where we can be captured by that so easily. So how does one optimize in a world that actually monetizes your lack of optimization? You know what I mean? Like you're suffering. Yeah. And it's all of this problem. I'm really excited to share with you one of my new favorite brands, which is called Safe Sleeve. I discovered them because I was looking for a phone case that would prevent radiation, because of course I use my phone for work, and my phone sits in my pocket right next to all the, you know, important bits. And I couldn't be happier with this product. I absolutely love it. And recently, 
France actually banned the iPhone 12 for excessive radiation levels. So this is the perfect time for me to share this with you and for you to go check them out. Safe Sleeve makes anti-radiation products designed to give you peace of mind so that you can know that you and your devices are protected. And all of their anti-radiation products incorporate lab-tested shielding technology that can block over 99% of radiofrequency radiation and 92% of electromagnetic field radiation. There are very few anti-radiation brands that offer lab-tested protection and make it publicly available on their website. And only a couple of them block ELF the electromagnetic field radiation, which is much harder to block, but equally as important. And as a bonus, their phone cases provide military-grade drop protection, which is also tested for. So if you're like me and you want to protect your cells from getting fried by RF, check out Safe Sleeves phone cases, anti-radiation headphones, RF-blocking blanket, and more awesome products that keep you safe. Go to safesleeve.com and use the code GROVES10 for 10% off at checkout. It's and and. The world is very good at it, as we spoke about, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about just the advent of the spin machine and public relation and how they mastered spinning narratives in like the 1920s, Edward Bernays and Romantic Tyranny. The truth is that more so now than ever, as I just mentioned a little bit ago, like all the tools of ascension are online. And all the pitfalls are also readily available to jump into. And we've been given this beautiful thing called free will. We've been given this beautiful thing called choice. Where our attention goes, our energy flows. And if we place our attention on the negative, we place our attention on what's going wrong, we place our attention solely on the ills of the world, we're going to see that more. At the same time, when we place our attention on the good, when we place our attention on health, when we place our attention on love and expansiveness and family and friendship, we're going to see more of that as well. So then the question always gets asked, well, is that toxic positivity? Are you now not tuning into the, the challenges of the world to bypass and just be completely positive? I think that a lot of people do inherently stay in the positive and not look towards what is going wrong. I think a healthy individual is so rooted in their power and potency in the good, in the blessings, in the love that from the overflow, they look into the ills of the world and they are able to offer solutions. And all we have to do is look to history from Nelson Mandela to Muhammad Ali to Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Maya Angelou. They were not solely in one arena and not looking at the other arena, but they were firmly rooted in love. They were firmly rooted in truth. They were firmly rooted in who they were. And as a byproduct of that, they were able to elicit change in those realms that are not as optimized, where there are ills and there is pain as a mechanism to up-level and bring more people into that space of love. It reminds me of uh, Plato's allegory of the cave. Are you familiar with that? Plato's allegory of the cave, one of the first philosophical pieces of wisdom was give, that was given to me when I decided to leave the streets and really go after my academic career. And basically, Plato painted this beautiful picture of these four individuals that were born into a cave. And their entire life, their heads were chained forward, looking at a wall. And behind them, there was a fire 
and the guards would make shapes with the fires. And because they were never able to turn around, that became their reality, everything that was projected on that wall. Mm-hmm. So they created philosophies and dogmas about the, the, the shadows on the wall, and they would bestow awards on who can name that shadow fastest. And it became this whole hierarchical thing. Well, in the story, this guy comes down into the cave and he unchains one guy. And as soon as the guy turns around, he sees that what he saw on the wall was actually not truth. It was a mirage of yeah. the fire and the silhouettes that were being made by the guard. So this unsung hero brings this individual out of the cave step by step. And when he finally enters the light, it's so much that he wants to go back in the cave. The wow. cave is more comfortable. His friends are in the cave. There's um, familiarity in the cave. But as he reorients himself to healthy, as he becomes more optimized, as he reorients himself to the natural world, he realizes, wow, I've been in this cave my whole entire life. My friends are in this cave, but this is the world. This is beautiful. And, it's, it, and he talks about him getting caught up in looking at the sun and the fish and the water and nature and everything. But eventually, as humans do, we, we're, we're communal creatures. We want to bring our people with us. Right. So he decides to go back to the cave. And as soon as he enters the cave, he can't see anymore because his eyes are now adjusted yeah. to the light. And he goes down to the cave and his friends are still looking at the wall, naming these shadow figures and sitting in there, being well-adjusted to a mentally sick situation. Right. And he sits down and he can't make out the figures in the walls anymore. And he tries to tell the people next to him, he's like, hey, this is not real. And instead of them being like, really? They become resentful of him. And Plato says that they actually say that if he were to ever mess up their eyes, the way his eyes have become messed up, they would kill him. So the guy ends up leaving the cave. And the moral of the story is like when you step into the light, when you step into the truth, it can be a lonely road. And you're going to experience moments where you go down in the cave and people have become so habituated to that they don't want to leave. But even in that, it is the duty of those who have experienced truth. Mm. love optimization to continue to try to bring as many people out of the cave as possible as that one beautiful human did for that individual and so i always think about that when i look at our society like there's gonna there's a lot of people in the metaphorical cave yeah and it's our job as individuals who have had glimpses of the light and I know people have views on what a light and dark is, but for the context of this conversation, it's our, it's our duty to continue to go back and try to bring as many people into the light, into the truth, into the love as possible. Yeah, I mean, what a great story because it's so indicative of, like, when you first wake up to whatever truth is that shatters your paradigm of what you thought was real, Right. it's so destabilizing yeah. that, it's easy to go back to the habits and rituals mm-hmm. and choices that created the familiar old self, even if it's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. You know, and then in service of the pretending you don't know what you just discovered, you'll pick up or continue or dive deeper and double down on addictions that manage dissonance. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about so much about the suffering that we experience from not living, not being aligned with the wisdom zone you know not being aligned with that because 
the knowledge is there saying, hey, actually, this isn't true or this is true or whatever. This belief's hurting us. This choice is hurting us. That it's easier to just be like, oh, I'm not going to, I can't. But that gnaws at you. It's, it's here and mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we fucking know. Mm-hmm. And we're like, nah, I'll just pretend I don't. I'll just hang out with these people who also pretend they don't know. And that seems to be on some level a normal. It is normal to be in that. And I get from an evolutionary perspective why we dodge truth, avoid truth, Mm -hmm. survival for families, connection, you know, all the things. But I look now and I'm like, man, there's the internet is really the expression of human consciousness and there's both light and dark. And that's why porn exists is so big there too, because we're uh, horny, we're a horny, horny species. And when I consider even what I believe to be true or what I, truths that come through for me, which there are truths that are just, you know, like this is a table. We can both agree on that. Or this is a microphone. We can both agree on that. There might be someone who's like, that's not. And then, okay, well, we're going to have to have a talk about that and figure out what you think it is. But we agree on certain things. Right. But there are certain truths, which this is going to, this is an inflammatory subject, but there are certain truths that if we just say they're not true, we now are not connected to the reality of humanity. And I think of like gender, mm-hmm. sorry, biological sex. Mm-hmm. Biological sex is just a fact. Mm-hmm. But if we say it's not true anymore, then now we're living in a world where we're not actually connected to something that is actually rooted. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I know that subject is really inflammatory for people, but what's interesting about it is when I think about something like that, I'm not crazy mm-hmm. that I know that is a, just a biological fact. But when someone comes at you and says, that's not true, you're phobic, you're this, mm-hmm. I now have to either abandon this truth in order to accommodate emotional reactivity, mm-hmm. which again, I'm, I have compassion for anyone's exploration of all of that. I just think this discussion about things like, I look at the last three years and I go, I'm not fucking crazy. Like, I from the beginning was like, there's no data to show that this thing stops transmission. Mm-hmm. I read the studies. I'm not crazy. But then I'm hearing these people say, it does this, it does this. You not choosing to get it. You're anti-science. I'm like, am I fucking... And I think what's interesting, and I, the reason I bring this forward is those are two very inflammatory, reactive Mm -hmm. subjects for people. Mm -hmm. And I'm mindful that is what I think is true about those two things because i'm not saying the like i'm automatically right Mm -hmm. but if my perspective is those are facts let's just say those are facts and technically they are facts i'm like am i being righteous am i blind am i wrong and i i negotiate the ability for humans to be blind avoid dissonance, Mm -hmm. that I have biases, Mm -hmm. and how easy it is for me to be captured, right? Because I was emotionally reactive to a lot of the stuff. Right. No secret to you watching or listening. I got emotionally reactive. Same. Right. 
And now I look back and I'm like, I could have done a better job at being regulated about some of the subjects. But I also want to be mindful that I'm not following the same trap that the person who is convinced of some other, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was in um, the podcast, The Art of Sensemaking um, with Daniel. I I never know how to say his last name, but it's like Schleckenberger or something. And he was saying, whenever you're emotionally reactive by a subject, you've been captured. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about coming back to love and yeah. bridging and, and those types of things. And I, I appreciate that about you mm-hmm. because you remind me of that all the time. Because, of course, my brand is called Create the Love, so I should probably come back to love. And I'm like, but love is still truth. Love is truth and love is intelligent and multifaceted. And sometimes it's good to be captured. Like for the right, right thing, the right thing, the right cause, you know, to, that's true to, to be maybe captured by love, captured mm-hmm. by truth, captured by service, captured by, you know, beauty. So I think that anybody who's made a difference on our planet has been captured by something. Martin Luther King was captured by his dream. Muhammad Ali was captured by his greatness. And so I feel that. And his integrity. And like, ah, oh, man, that integrity. guy. Yeah. Like, height of his career. Was able to give it all up because he was connected to something beyond. He was connected to a truth that was beyond. And imagine if Muhammad Ali was here this day and somebody told him some of the truths that they feel, <laughs> you know, and they would probably try to cancel him. The, the it would be canceled for <laughs> sure. A lot of these guys would be. A lot of these guys would be canceled. You know, um, what would a crazy person call a normal person? Probably crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So, of course, like in a sick society where a psychological pathology that is rooted in disorder is the norm, anything that is of norm is going to be considered cray. People are going to be like, that's, that's not okay. Isn't that wild though, that we've like normalized the idea that we're just going to pretend that something isn't true. And I think it's, uh, in George Orwell, mm-hmm. it, it ta- I mean, 1984 is, yeah. it's resurrected. Uh, it's crazy to watch the playbook of 1984, yeah. but then be like, wait, am I actually the one who's captured? Right? Like yeah. that check-in I think is healthy, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I've had to keep coming back to like. Am I fucking nuts? Mm-hmm. Because I witness people saying things mm-hmm. that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to pretend that makes sense. And I think for the majority of people, mm-hmm. which is, this is no shame to anyone who's like still agreeing to things that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. But I do believe on some level it is our our obligation, and I was going to say moral obligation, mm-hmm. but I'm sure morality means different things for different people. But it's like our moral obligation to fight, to Absolutely. maintain a connection to grounded reality, which when you return back to nature, there's no denying so many mm-hmm. facts, like so many truths. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why it's so important to tap back into nature on a regular basis because there are universal truths that that live, that are true and they will be true thousands of years from now. And they were true a thousand years ago. And 
certain things like biological sex is true in that space. When you look at a society like ours that has a lot of fundamental sicknesses, I sent you um, that after school yeah. episode about menticide. And we'll link that in the show notes because it's yeah. so good. And it says that when a, a person is inflicted with trauma in order to make sense of the trauma, a couple of things happen. One, they escape by creating a completely different reality or there's a psychological break. And in that break, things become reconfigured in a distorted way so they can actually find homeostasis in that reality again. If we pull back to a worldview or a societal view, there's been so much induced trauma that individuals in our society have been, and there's been a psychological, you know, schema that's been inflicted that inevitably has been reconfigured in a way that is not necessarily rooted in reality. That's what I see happening. I feel that people have been induced with so much trauma that there's been psychological breaks. And when you're in a space of psychological breaks, you're creating your own reality to inevitably navigate the traumatic situation that you're in. To maintain a perception of safety, security, uh, predictability. Predictability. And maybe that sense of predictability is saying gender looks like this. Maybe that sense of predictability is saying, well, I need to get this vaccine. Is it true? You know, I believe one thing, they believe another thing, but I do believe that there are undeniable facts and and that's what we have to really get rooted in in this day and age is like, what is the ultimate truth? And that's the, that, that's the, the, the essence of critical thinking. And critical thinking has gone offline in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, shit's, that yeah, shit's yeah. sailed. And the essence of critical thinking is, can I entertain an opposing thought without believing it to be true or false? Most people cannot do that. That's why people will fight to the death over a vaccine that has no validity or fight to the death over something that has been spewed out by a, a sick media system that has no root, rootedness in human health. Yeah. Critical thinking has to come back online. Well, which means we have to have conversations like, how wild is it that this conversation is actually on the edge of inflammatory for some people? Oh, yeah. One That's bananas. One percent. Because like these kinds of conversations, although they're happening privately mm-hmm. a lot, yeah. they're not happening publicly a lot because people are terrified of being canceled. They're terrified. I can't even mention gender. Mm-hmm. I can't even mention sex. I can't even mention mm-hmm. COVID. I can't even mention vaccines. Not to mention that if you if you do use some of those words, you're actually censored yeah. on these media outlets. Yeah. If I was to tell you that four years ago, no one would believe me. No one would believe that the criticism of a pharmaceutical product was actually going to be shamed. <laughs> right. I, right. That to me is an alternate, to even say that today, that mm-hmm. the desire to want to have a dialogue about specific things or dive deep into the psychological manipulation, mm-hmm. there is, there's a 100% been a massive industrial strength propaganda campaign. 100%. It's been going on about war forever though. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about Canada and the perception of the U.S., this isn't going to be true for everybody, Mm -hmm. but it's true for a lot, is Canadians believe on some level that they're better than Americans. It's true. 
I mean, I love Canadians. <laughs> right. And this, again, is not a knock on yeah. Canadians, yeah. but there was like a fear of being seen. When Americans traveled a lot of the time, they would put Canadian flags on yeah. their backpacks because they wanted to be thought of as Canadian. Kai didn't know that. And when we went traveling, she was like, sometimes when people travel, they don't like American. People mm-hmm. love Canadians everywhere I go in the world. That's right. And Americans, they think we're... A little less just, now. Yeah. A little less. Canadians are not... And as Justin Trudeau has not represented... Um. He's definitely not a well-loved human around the world. But, like, I think Barack brought back the American love. Rock, like, people loved Barack. Barack brought swagger back. Yeah, he did. And, I mean, like, one of the best orators of our time. Regardless of what you think about him, he was still one of the best speakers I've ever seen. Maybe highly trained, but damn. Mm-hmm. And when I think about the way we perceive or desire to be perceived, you know, like, when we talk about optimization, optimization requires truth. Yep. Like, I can't change my health if I don't acknowledge that there is something going on with my health. 100%. And I think that's why things like blood tests are going to see a doctor are so confronting because there are inescapable mm-hmm. facts that are going to come back to you. And then there's also the narrative that you can't heal things, which you need a product. Again, these are all systems. But it's like, how do you optimize your spirituality, your uh, soma, your body, your wisdom, your emotions, your love, if you can't be with that you might be bankrupt in those areas or buying into things that are not, you you were saying, like the representation of what we see as love, for example, like Disney. Mm-hmm. I saw this crazy set of memes that was like basically showing the underlying story that each Disney princess was actually teaching. It's so fucking toxic. Wild. Yeah, And so when I look at like what all these girls are taught, which also boys are taught too, you know, it's like, it's not healthy. So if what we see as healthy expressions of those things in media mm-hmm. or wherever we are finding it, movies, families, culture, and then we have to be with the reality that those are not healthy. Wait, the place I live, the relationships I'm in, my family, my culture, they're not healthy. Cognitive dissonance. Fuck. Of the highest level. Yeah. And I know you have come from the experience of living on the streets, Mm -hmm. being in the streets, deciding, uh uh-uh, like, this isn't going to be my life. But you also seem like you're in a a re-optimize, like you're like going next level again. Because I see you like now you're, you're like old ceiling, new floor. Yep. So can you talk a little bit about what that moment was that changed you? Because I know you talked about the story and sounds like uh, your teacher in grade three, she had a, what's her name? Miss Bennett. Miss Bennett. I, there was that moment that you had, I think at 17. Was yeah. it 17? 18 at the bus stop. 18 at the bus stop. So if you could share about that and then what that led to in terms of what you saw mm-hmm. optimization as then yeah. versus I know you're in like a whole new level of optimization What do you see it as now? Like, what's different about those? Yeah, you know, 18 years old, sitting at the bus stop, I never left Vegas. And so, therefore, my world, my worldview was the streets. My worldview was the cave. But I had some guiding lights that helped me navigate that cave at that time. And so, at that time, optimization was to just make sure I got enough food. Optimization Mm -hmm. was just to make sure that I was able to get to the community college on time and get to my nine to five So optimization changes as well. I think that that's important to know that it is something that expands outward. And 
inward. And, you know, a lot of people, they see me where I'm now at 38 years old and they're like, wow, B, how did you get there? But the truth is it took 20 years to get to this moment. In the first 10 years of leaning into my transformation, nothing changed. I mean, a lot changed in, the in, in my inner world, but it wasn't until this was 2002, I was sitting at the bus stop. It wasn't until 2012 that I could actually say that I was making enough money to sustain my lifestyle in a healthy way. And the truth is, unfortunately, our society makes it really, really hard and unaccessible to a lot of people to get the best food, to get right. the, the, the best therapy, to get the best, you know, training modalities and things like that. So sometimes it requires an insurmountable amount of effort to even get the norm. The last 10 years, because of the first 10 years, has opened up the doors to begin to go beyond meaning to study beyond the cave, to go and learn from different teachers around the world, to begin to incorporate and experiment with different modalities within my inner world, to experience psychedelics and reconnect with nature in very special ways. And so the, the, these last 10 years has been a really an, another recalibration mm -hmm. of what it means to be healthy. So now I have about 20 years of data that shows me like, okay, this doesn't work and this does work. And there are some truisms as we talk about facts that really do work. And these are all coming online and it's really beautiful to see this, this you know, biohacking movement start to like take root. A lot of people are realizing like the wisdom is inside themselves. And going back to the idea of the koshas, like that wisdom body, that love body, it cascades down into the energetics, into the emotions and into the physical in our day and age right now, we're so inundated with noise, we can't hear ourselves. So I think the first thing that is vital for people is to get quiet enough to tune in. Our being is genius in mm -hmm. all its capacity. It knows everything. You know, I was looking at my fingernail one time. I was like, I don't even know how my fingernail grows. <laughs> yeah, people are trying to explain how this, you know, politics and gender works. They don't even know how a fingernail grows. <laughs> right. Focus on your fingernail. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. the, the, figure that out. Figure that out. Figure that the out. truth is, is like inwardly, we have so much intelligence and this is what the martial arts teach. This is what yoga teaches. This is what training teaches to go inside and learn mm -hmm. from the master teacher that is us through our energetics. That technology our... optimized, that technology of, exactly. of, of Soma. Of Soma. Which yeah. As you step into the max, the optimization of body, physical, mm -hmm. it, it just seems so automatic that that would mean you're challenged at least, you're invited yeah. to optimize wisdom mind. Because you're yeah. through body, if I'm getting what you're saying, you are actually tapping back in silence, mm -hmm. which you can do through training mm -hmm. and, and meditation mm -hmm. and movement. You are actually accessing a new doorway or opening the channel back up to communicate with self that absolutely and also remembering that it's so important to in, go on this journey with a growth mindset not a fixed mindset embodying what bruce lee said when he said absorb what's useful discard what's not and add what is uniquely your own mm. the truth is is even the greatest teachers don't got it all figured out therein lies the magic the finger gets pointed back at us use the breadcrumbs adopt what's useful discard what's not and add your own swagger to it. And then it becomes a philosophy that is uniquely yours. And as long as it's rooted in love and doing no harm, 
roll with that. It might look like something completely different than somebody else's philosophy. And there is the beauty of the crayon box and the color and the tapestry of what it is humanity can be. So where I've landed now is in service to love. Mm. And when I say love, people are like, what do you mean love? I have love as my mission. You know, love is beyond anything I can comprehend. The word love doesn't even do it justice, but something inside my somatics, when I declared that I'm in service to love, my energetics were like, yeah, that's like, the yeah. pathway. And once I declared that, my life has changed. Again, w- where our energy goes, our attention goes, or where our focus goes, that opens. That's really been the last few years. And so I feel that the more I optimize and the more I come online, the more I'm able to tune into truth again and again and again. And I feel that the tools right now are going to be more important than ever because the dial's being turned up. The static noise is being turned on. The propaganda machine is ramped up. And anybody who wants to negate and say, oh, we have this government that is just going to wrap you in love and wants the best for you is tripping like where, what weed yeah. were you smoking at the cave yeah all the you got to do is look to history and you know that is not the case right but therein lies the beauty therein lies the beauty of stop people need to stop looking outside of themselves for salvation and they need to tune in and once we tune in we realize it's an infinite wheelhouse of power it's an infinite wheelhouse of potency it's an infinite wheelhouse of wisdom it's an infinite wheelhouse of love And all the great teachings, wherever you go in the world, point us back at ourselves and nature is the cathedral. Nature Mm. is the altar. Nature is where we go to worship, pray. Nature is there to provide. One of my buddies sent me a meme the other day. It was so funny. There was this guy, he was looking at this monk and he's like, stupid ape. And then the next uh, boxes, the ape says, look who's talking. You're the only one who pays to live on earth. <laughs> that's funny. And I'm like, that's it. It's so true. Yeah, that call that people, I've talked a bit about this on the pod and just interviewed a regenerative farmer and that desire that people, if you start to grow your own food, what she was saying was like, there's something so powerful about eating a carrot that you grew. You know, there's something so powerful about watching the land nourish you because you nourish the land, you're working with your hands are in the dirt. And not to mention all the things that the microbiome gets from being in the soil. And, and I also asked her, what was it like to, you know, take the life of the animal that is now nourishing you? And she said, we're so disconnected from the connection to Mm -hmm. the death that occurs. Mm -hmm. And she said, there's a strange, like, beauty, but pain to that, right? Like, respect, right? Right. And you think about, we are trying to, in the, 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 the sales point or the invitation is convenience. Mm-hmm. But all it does is, and, and of course there's balance in all of this. You know, what communities do is one person grows the vegetables and the other person grows maybe a different type and the other one uh, grows the, the animals mm-hmm. and the other one is in charge of school. And the, you're right, that's what village does. Mm-hmm. And you think like we turn to the government for village right we turn to the government again like i understand convenience this is not just black and white this is not just binaries there's obviously ways to work with each other and together but what's interesting is like the more dependent we become to get our food 
and everything from some power outside of us who's selling us more convenience, the less we have sovereignty. We can't make as many choices because if I don't say yes to this thing, which I think is a lot of the pushback to things like mandates and vaccine passports, which we created informed consent laws to say you can't get someone to take a medical intervention if it means they're being coerced, threatened, or rewarded. Right. Like those rules exist for a reason. And I love how we just throw out truths we learned and because they're inconvenient mm-hmm. today because we're afraid because we don't know our own power. That's it. Right. And like when you can depend on yourself and your village and your people, but that's the fastest way to rock a human is turn your people against you. Divide the people. Most of us are not <laughs> yeah. far left or far right. Yeah. The right is such a left is such a, yeah. I use those words, but I'm coming back to like recognizing it's all a bullshit construct. Yeah. Just like we're not pro or anti or t- right. all these fucking words that they remove the beauty and love and complexity yeah. of each person. Yeah. You know? They shake up, they shake it all up and they continue to shake it. And and we can just look at the last four years. First, it was, uh, it was like red versus blue. Yeah. Then it was black versus white. And then it was unvax versus vax. And it continues. Now it's gen- climate versus gen- climate denier. Gen- pro versus phobic. Yeah. Insert the. So you shake it up enough you're going to always find somebody who you're in disagreement with. And when you have a divided culture, when you have a divided community, when you're not all in alignment with one truth, that takes the power away from the people. And therein lies the opportunity to come back to self, come back to love, come back to truth. And understand that in the tapestry of the human culture, there's going to be different types of people, different superheroes with different superpowers and different beliefs. But to be able to sit with somebody and say, you know what? Your belief is your belief and my belief is my belief. And you have the right to choose to believe what you believe. And I have the right to choose what I believe. Then there's a a, a space that opens up. What's unconditional love? Yeah. Conversation can be had. You know, there's this concept called the public square. The public square was once a space where people could bring ideas openly and not be canceled to not just find out who was right, but to find out what was right. And the problem is right now is all these people are trying to figure out, trying to point to the direction of who is right, then what is right. And the crazy thing is, is a lot of these like liberal, liberal protests that are going on that are wrapped in love are actually some of the most hateful movements I've seen in, in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's it's so distorted. But therein lies, again, the opportunity is I think that we all need to come back home. As uh, Dr. Tame O'Brien would say, come back home to ourselves. Because the truth is the only world, reality, expression, place that we can really control is here. And... Let's not take our word for it. You know, we're, you know, just chilling here in 2023. Let's look at the entire gamut of human history that has all said, all philosophies, that love is the way. That truth is the way. That and kindness is the way. And, and love wins. wins again right. and again and again. So we have enough data points now to stop being ignorant. That's, I think, mm-hmm. the most important thing. We have enough historical data 
that ignorance is a choice. In the age of information, this is Joe Dispenza, ignorance is a choice. And so anybody who wants to look the other way, anybody who wants to hold tight to a dogma, knowing that dogmas are meant to be broken, they're choosing to be ignorant. What we need in this day and age is people to stop choosing to be ignorant and choose intelligence, choose love, choose truth at all costs, even if it means losing your life. And that's the thing is so many people are hell-bent on self-preservation and when you are that, you will die for a cause that is not in truth. But if we look again to the greats, the Muhammad Ali's, the Nelson Mandela's, the Martin Luther King's, they were down to die for love, die for truth. And that's, I think, what we need to bring back online is a willingness to go all the way. That willingness is what demonstrates and wakes other people up. Exactly. You know, it's like the momentum of one person speaking out and then other people. Because humans do a calculation of the risk. You know, and what happened, though, when we had, like, let's say in Canada, the trucker convoy, which they turned into being a white supremacy rally, which it was never, you know, that's what was, it was so well done, though, by the media and the government Mm -hmm. that worked in lockstep, Mm -hmm. that I saw all these people who had hope Mm -hmm. all of a sudden get afraid that they were going to be, I mean, people who were not even white, who Mm -hmm. were like, I'm not joining this white supremacy. They had hope, and then when the media turn the dials Mm -hmm. to divide. Oh, yeah. Which is brilliant, right? If you look at human history, that's what every single government has done to any uprising. Mm -hmm. And I look at the conversations that were happening online, which was like, oh, people actually pushing back, physicians, Mm -hmm. epidemiologists, people trained, virologists, Mm -hmm. people who manufacture vaccines, having these conversations, and all of a sudden, the media, the censorship. Yeah. So if you turn down the amount of voices speaking up, you make it sound like you're the only one. Mm -hmm. It's brilliant. It's a strategy. But humans do this mathematics where they say, I'm not going to do it. You go first. Mm -hmm. But any human evolution that was like a radical gene up level, a radical somatic mimetic up level Mm -hmm. is because someone went, I can't wait. I got to go. And that's what wakes, that's why I say to people like, use your voice Mm. because your voice allows someone else to hear themselves, Mm -hmm. but then to hear they're not alone. And what you're calling people towards, well, I'm not leaving you alone on it, both of us, but I think so many people is we have to be in the space of one, having a depth of understanding of ourselves, but also to tap into a courage that that's that's the key. Yeah, it's courage. It's it, cur- it's guttural. It's it's what rage is. Yeah, healthy rage. I just got chills, bro. Right. When you said that because that's what it is. I, I had this download last time I was in the Amazon jungle, and it was asking me like, "Would you kill for love? Would you fight for love? Would you die for love?" And I had to really sit with that, and and I was thinking about like my community, my, my human family, you know, it's easy sometimes to romanticize things and say, I would never do this or I would never do that. But as I mentioned to you last week, the quote by Terrence, I am human. Therefore, nothing human is foreign to me. Courage requires us to step into the full capacity of being human in a space of self-preservation. So many people are living in their safety zones and they're not stepping out into the edge and that's not just physical, that's oh, psychological, every, spiritual, right? Absolutely. 
And hmm. stepping towards the edge is a way in a society that has become over-industrialized, stepping towards that edge is stepping back towards the edge of nature. Because when we were once connected to nature, every day we stepped into... It was courage. It was courage. It had to be. You had to be. So how do we replicate something hmm. that's been taken that's away? That's survival. It's like convenience. I know in Michael Easter's book, uh, The Comfort Crisis, it's like convenience has robbed us of this. Exactly. Like what requires for an organism to grow and change and expand is inconvenience. <laughs> exactly. That's why I love... Uh, <laughs> I think That's it's, powerful. Uh, I think it's Joe Rogan. He says, uh, eat the frog in the morning. Oh, I mean, a lot of people say, eat the frog in the morning. And it's like, do that uncomfortable thing. Do that thing that is going to stretch you. Do that thing that is going to push you to that edge. Because inevitably, it gives us an opportunity to build courage. And then the question is, is how courageous are you? Is one courageous enough to give their life for a cause? To me, there's no more noble cause than be able to give my life. I hope that, that I am called to one day go that far to where I'm pushing something, the nut, the edge forward, where I have to step into that space of ultimate courage to possibly give my life for something to blossom. Well, to put your life in service of love is to do that. Exactly. Right? It might not be like your physical safety is at risk, but psychological safety. Yeah, all of it. Right? <laughs> all of it. It's, it's like, like to, to even use words that now are essentially banned from dialogue is to put one's... Exactly. You know, like if you speak up and you step into the zone of cancellation, which... The only thing that makes you susceptible to cancellation is the willingness to be canceled. That's right? far right there. Because you look at like people like they've tried to cancel some. I mean, they tried to cancel Joe Rogan hard. Yeah. But Joe's like, I'm not bending. Yeah. Like, I'll learn. Yeah. That was one thing that I found so interesting about people I knew that hated on him was that they considered him far right. Mm -hmm. Even though this guy's, I don't think, ever wrote, voted for anyone mm -hmm. who's not a Democrat. I'm pretty sure he says that. Mm -hmm. It's like, and Russell Brand is considered yeah. right wing. Yeah. The guy couldn't be more liberal. Yeah. But you know, it's like, I look at when Joe Rogan faced a lot of that mm -hmm. storm of criticism, which he deserved mm -hmm. for some of, definitely for some of that mm -hmm. stuff. He actually got on and recorded videos conf talking about it and like saying what he learned and what he was going to continue. Mm -hmm. I saw him live actually right after uh, all the stuff came out about the video mm -hmm. of him using the N-word mm -hmm. tons. And he was humble, mm -hmm. which you better be humble after that. And I see people who are having the biggest conversations and they're the ones having conversations about all the things we talked about today. Yeah. They're not the ones pretending that everything is good. It's so, it's so important. And going back to like, I think the ultimate example of somebody who stepped into truth and lost everything is Muhammad Ali. Oh, and that was such a sad, I mean, like. And he's 23, 24 years old. about integrity, though, yeah. we said at the beginning, like. Yeah. He was like, I'm not going to war. Yeah. He's, he was like, For not you. going to war. Went completely broke in that process and inevitably came back and become, became the heavyweight champion again and now he's immortalized as the great the greatest again we have so many beautiful examples that showcase 
that the courageous path is not always the easy paths, but it is the most beautiful path. And that's what I think we all need to do at times is pull out from the minutia of the day-to-day, dive into research, dive into some deep studies of who's come before us to show us that the courageous path is not always easy, but it is necessary. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful. It is fulfilling. It is the most rewarding path. There's a lot of people that are going to live 90 years plus, and they're going to stay in their box. They're not going to stretch too far. They're going to love only to an extent. What kind of life is that? Mm-hmm. But there are going to be people that put it all on the table that fully lean into love, that allow themselves to be broken. I remember this is the, one of the greatest moments in my time knowing you is when I called you, I felt going through a breakup. I'm like, bro, my heart's broken. And you're like, good. <laughs> I was like, I needed that. And you're like, cause you're open. Good job. Good job for arriving at this space. That is courageous. And so I think that, I think that you, you've really like landed on a word that actually is a catalyzer for people mm. who want to step towards being their most optimized self, the courage to step into the uncomfortable long enough to unlock the gifts within and without. What would you say, and, and if you could also share, I want to hear about the adventure that you take people on the yeah. warrior retreat. Be honored. And maybe you can tie to that. Yeah. Uh, what the journey of optimization might start or continue to look mm-hmm. like for someone and how I know you've created warrior about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could speak to like, what are the components of warrior and also what are the components to entering that, that journey of optimization? Yeah. I mean, I think cause you've created a movement, man, bro. It started out like, yeah, I'll bring a bunch of people to Peru. It's such a blessing. I mean, I love it. Now it's like Peru's population has grown. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild. As a trainer, you know, I'm a trainer first and foremost. That's my first, first world before psychology and before now, you know, embarking on the PhD in neuroscience. Yeah. It all comes down to like moving our being and like first, like anybody who's starting off on the path, get healthy. You know, you need to stop eating the cookies. You know, you need to put the donuts away. You know, like the coffee addiction is bad. You know, stuffing yourself with bread and alcohol doesn't work. You know, movement is good. You know, sunlight is good. You know, water is good. Get to the basics, get back to the elements and allow that to become a new set point. Consistency is key. Throw out the 75 hearts and the 90 day, (laughs) the 90 day shifts that doesn't work. Just do something every day that, you know, Mamba mentality where you end each day a little better than you were the day before. And in the moment of it, it's not going to feel like anything changes. Inevitably, everything changes Mm. day by day. So I think that for everybody that has a body, you have an opportunity to feel better in your body. And since that's your home, make it beautiful. And if you're addicted to some stuff, stop, stop doing the things that <laughs> you're addicted to. And it might be hard. And if you need to get help, get help. And I've been there. And there's a reason why the best coaches, the best trainers I know have coaches, trainers, the best therapists I know have therapists. We all need help. Look at LeBron, look at Kobe, look at Muhammad Ali. They had teams around them. So for us to think we can do it alone is, is a, a, a delusion. So to warrior retreats, you know, going on the journey of pulling myself from the streets to what I call the skies and 
you know, traveling the world and quote unquote, stepping into my version of manhood, which I once thought was about getting money and getting girls and, Mm -hmm. you know, feeling validated, having nice things. You know, I realized that I was lacking um, an initiatory process and practice. And I think that, again, if we tune into the wisdom that is in our own somas, everybody knows that they're supposed to be initiated. Everybody's seeking that, whether it's through sex, whether it's through drugs, whether it's through work, whether it's through academia, people are trying to step into a new version of themselves. And as Francis Weller would say, I have a contained encounter with the unknown. Mm. So in 2016, I'm coming off the eve of me having an award-winning gym in Vegas, gyms at that time, being one of the first trainers signed to Nike. I'm thinking that I'm on top of the world. I'm, I have my, my beautiful condo in Vegas, 250 pairs of Nikes in my living room, plus when I couldn't afford Nikes, but I was still miserable. I was like, I'm more miserable in this condo than I was when I was on the streets. And so at that time, I was a few years into getting to know my father again, my father living in Peru, met him when I was 27 years old and in the most random way. I, don't, I think I've told you I, that whole thing went down. But every year I would go down and spend some time with him in Peru and he would introduce me to the jungles. He would take me to the hospitals. He would, he would, you know, show me that the magic of what Peru was. And it really started to teach me something that was beyond what I was being taught. It started to initiate me, started going down in 2012. So 2016, I decided that I wanted to bring some friends. At this time, everybody was starting to get into plant medicine and all these little pretendo shamans in Las Vegas and LA were popping up, you know, Shakti starfires and things like that. And, yeah. you know, Christian, the shaman is like my brother in Peru, regular names. And Christian, not some <laughs> funny name. Yeah. So, <laughs> Shakti. so I decided to bring a couple, invite a couple friends, uh, my friend Shane and my friend Jerry. And the next thing you know, I had 18 people who decided to come down to Peru with me. And so it was a friend gathering that turned into me hosting a group of people for seven days. And I was like, this is amazing. I should call it um, superhero retreat. Uh, warrior, ret warrior retreat sounds good. Warrior retreats initially started off as a seven day rite of passage. I wanted to take people into the hospitals to work with these dying kids, which is what I call life awaska. You can do all, the plant, you can do all the plant medicine you want. You have a kid die in your hands, it's going to change you forever. Just like when my mom passed, there ain't no ayahuasca that can ever replicate the pugnant of her body decaying in my first home deteriorating. It's just like that. So it was like, take them into the hospitals, take them into nature, take them into Pachimama, take them into the food, take them into the people. And Warrior 2 and 3 began to just have this energy that started small, seven people, nine people coming down to Warrior. At Warrior 4, I felt this call to finally go into the jungles and start to experience that. At this time, I'd only worked with like plant medicine and the Sacred Valley, which is the mountains. But the jungles is a different beast. And so I went down to the jungles and I started to really like lean into that space and through just synchronistic events, I met some really, really beautiful indigenous Kakama Indians, my brother Wolf, my brother Walter, my brother Christian. And I decided the next year to open it up as an option to come to the jungles before Warrior. And 
ended up having 18 people come to the jungles. And every one of those people that came to the jungles was like, if this ends right now, we're cool. We don't even need the rest of Warrior. This was great. Wow. So Warrior went from a seven-day retreat to a 14-day rite of passage. And as more of the understanding of initiation started coming online, I realized that what I created was a contained encounter with the unknown that people were so desperately looking to experience. And so what happened is, is Warrior turned into this 14-day curated rite of passage that starts in the Amazon jungle and ends in the Andes. It's the only retreat in the game that I know that is 14 days. It goes through four different containers, the Amazon jungle, Cusco, Aguas Caliente, aka Machu Picchu, and the Sacred Valley. And now what's happened is I'm able to bring several of the best facilitators in the game as a means to guide people from what I would say, the root to the crown. Mm. The jungles is the root. It's visceral and brings up a lot. It's so funny. You get all these people that are real bougie in their Western ways. Get them in the jungles for three days. You see all of the the blue checks and the filters come off. Oh yeah, I bet the blue checks. And, and all of a sudden it cleans the space as they would say in the jungles, limpia, limpia. And it's there where we take them into the mystical of what the jungles are where time becomes distorted because there's no cell phone reception. Wow. Getting 20 people to sit around a table and have a conversation with no cell phones, you it's incredible how you were like, oh my God, I've been missing this. Right. That is right. medicine. And a lot comes up because we're so addicted to movement, to screens, to everything, that initially starting off in the jungles with a warrior is just this incredible detox we give people the opportunity to go into the jungles and actually harvest their own medicine. This is something that I don't hear about at all in the space of medicine. You get some shaman who mailed his stuff in a, <laughs> in a thing that says drum cleaner or something like that. And there it's, it's, you know, who knows how old it is, but to go out into the jungles, to touch the plants, to connect with the na nature, intelligence, the trees, which each one is seen as a teacher to cook your medicine and to drink your medicine it's a completely different yeah, experience you're fully in the process exactly you're, you're working in symbiosis with exactly. nature yeah and it's, it's not beautiful. an ayahuasca retreat but i do give the people that come down an opportunity to work if with the medicine like to, if they'd yeah. like to and so those three days in the jungles are super powerful we host a yearly christmas party where we bring all the villages together this year we're building two wells for them so it's become the sustainable relationship where we've built two lodges down there that nobody has access to. I get so many people that are like, hey, can we come down? You can't come to our space because I don't want to make it about a capitalistic agenda. I want right. to have this. You're doing contribution to the place that you go. Exactly. In service of the place for the medicine. Exactly. Both literal and, and exactly and symbolic and, and spiritual and all the things. Yeah. Exactly. So from there we go to Cusco and Cusco is all about diving into the culture the cuisine and our annual charity day. We adopt two hospitals, two orphanages. And for most people that come to Warrior, that's the most powerful day. Again, when you have a person who is bedridden for life, but has the biggest smile on their face, it changes you. There's this woman that we always see every year, her husband out of a fit of rage threw acid on her and it melted her. Her eyes are fused together. Her whole entire face is fused together. But the smile that comes out of her touches everybody and you see these individuals who have been so egotistically driven melt mm. what's interesting is oftentimes the biggest influencers i have come down there 
are the ones that fold up the quickest. That's why Interesting. That's why I don't take Instagram that seriously. And oftentimes it's the teacher, the soccer mom, those are the warriors. And that's what comes online when, when you see them in, in action. Those are the true unsung heroes. From there, we go to Aguas Caliente, hike Machu Picchu, Hawaiian Picchu. And then from there, we eventually go to the Sacred Valley where it's four to five days of deep workshops. It's becoming more like a TED experience in the Sacred Valley. Cool. And so it's 14 days to remind people of who they are, remind people of their potency, to remind people that they don't need to be some Instagram influencer to make impact in their respective communities to remind people that gratitude can be found on all days in all ways. And in service to Peru, warriors grown from me bringing some friends down there to this last, this last uh, round, we had 600 people on our wait list and we have this year, nine, 10 countries, 10 different countries coming down to Peru to be a part of this. So it's, it's been an honor and, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that Peru has given me the opportunity to steward this concept called mm. warrior. Warrior is not mine. Warrior is this energy that is giving my friends, my, my, my students, my teachers, my respective community, an opportunity to have a contained encounter with the unknown and tap deeper into the heart. And, and that's why I think it continues to grow. Yeah, that's so beautiful what you've created because I've known you throughout that and it's just amazing what it's become. So like I acknowledge you for stepping into that mission of Thank love. You. Thank you. Um, for everyone who's watching, listening, we'll make sure the show notes have links to Warrior for more information. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Can you share with people where they can find more of you and links and all that stuff? Absolutely. So I have my stuff splintered and splattered all over the internet. Instagram is the best place. Brandon Collinsworth, that's my living website. All my, my friends are like, B, when are you going to get with the technological game? But I'm just in the garden doing my Tai Chi. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good reason. Okay, sweet brother. Thanks so much. Yeah. Appreciate you. Big love.